Uh, welcome to another episode of The Artistic Director. Uh, I am sitting here with Sheila McDevitt. Sheila, how are you doing? Well. You're doing well? Yeah. yeah. There's a bit of a sickness going around the Seven Devils Playwriting uh, Not Convention Playwrights Conference. Playwrights Conference. Playwrights yes. Conference. <laughs> um, yes, yes, yes. Perfect. Uh, so for the listener who is not familiar with you, can you give a brief history of, uh, of your performance, your uh, activity within the theater realm, I guess, that led you to being the artistic director, the co-artistic director of id Theater? Yeah, sure. So um, I started out as an actor and director, undergraduate degree, yeah. um, and then went to graduate school um, for actor training uh, at University of Washington. And decided to move to New York and kind of, you know, try it out, see how it works. Started a theater company with some friends called Quark Productions, where we were taking ancient myth cycles like Greek Ooh. and having uh, modern playwrights reinterpret them into the modern word. That's really cool. Um, so that was a lot of fun and did that for about 10 years. New York got to be a really tough place to <laughs> produce. Theaters went from... $300 a week when we started to $3,000 a week it was really getting kind of hard and awful. And in the meantime, I had a, a really good friend, Mark Gordon, who was one of the creators of, and I'm not going to be able to think of it, but the, uh, the original uh, Chicago um, theater company that uh, Second City came out of. No, we get to the sea. Um, mm. I'll think of it yeah. while we're going. Him and Avery Schreiber and um, his wife, Bobby, and uh, Mike Nichols, Elaine May. It was like all of that gang that kind of started that. But Mark was talking to me a lot about the whole, like the group theater and that whole idea of getting away out of the city, taking a group of people, making art somewhere where you were away from critics and things like that. So... My husband Simon and I started thinking about that and thinking about, well, what do we want to do? We want to create new works. We want to do new theater. And where do we want to do it? And I'm originally from Idaho. I was born here and uh, grew up here until I was eight, moved back to New York. But I spent every summer here. So we started looking around trying to find a place that would, you know, be a good place for us to work. In 1976, I was... Um, an intern, an apprentice at the Alpine Playhouse in McCall. And we were thinking that it would be a good place to come back to and bring people and do work. Um, so that was the creation of id. Um, it was kind of a double entendre because id theater, like the ego mm -hmm. and id um, of the psyche and id like Idaho. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of where that came from. Yeah, so that was 20 years ago. We brought our first group of people here to McCall. This is our 20th anniversary. Yeah, it's and, awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's a really awesome experience. Yeah, um, it's amazing. So we didn't start off with the conference. We started off trying to do new works, which were almost impossible to find <laughs> back then because there weren't a lot of development companies. Yeah, and everybody was being, like, commissioned, you know. Like, the Guthrie was commissioning a new work. It wasn't... or or houses were um, developing the work themselves so that they could then go ahead and produce it. So there wasn't a lot of the kind of thing that we do at the conference happening. Mm -hmm. So we just had some friends who were playwrights donate some 1X to us that first year. So we got some, you know, a play from Stuart Spencer and David Ives and Horton Foote and just some people we knew who were willing to give us 
a one act yeah. and <laughs> got a bunch of people together and came and did a one act. By the third year that we were here, we were having a hard time finding kind of anything. And I ended up meeting Jenny Mahoney, my co-artistic director, through happenstance. She happened to meet a guy whose grandfather had a cabin in McCall, Idaho. Wow. And uh, they kind of looked us up and found us. And Jenny said, I have this idea for a conference. And the rest kind of was history of putting those two things together. Yeah, so so how was that first... Uh did you and Jenny have the general same idea and when you met each other it just clicked or did you both have different interpretations of what you wanted id theater to be? So, you know, id theater originally was kind of more of a director and actor led theater and it, we definitely didn't want to have like a lot of set work or anything like that. We wanted the language to be the main thing that was happening um, as it was interpreted by playwrights and by actors and directors. Jenny had been at the um, O'Neill, the National Conference in Connecticut in 97, which was also 20 years ago, mm -hmm. the same year we started it. Oh, yeah. And she was really enamored of that process and loved that. So when she was talking to me and I said, well, we're trying to find new works, but it's really hard to find developed pieces. And she said, well, I have this idea for a conference sort of similar to the O'Neill, um, which was a lot like what we were doing anyway, you know, like no, no sets, you know, very low key kind of thing. Um, you know, like we talk about functional neutrality yeah. and our sets were sort of designed that way anyway. Yeah. So it kind of was a good fit. It was like, I have an idea, I have a theater. Um, so we were already incorporated. We were already a not for profit. Uh, one of our actors, Husbands who came had met with the local drama teacher and helped her start a playwriting class. So by the time we were doing the conference, I said, well, the high school has a playwriting class. Maybe we can pull them in, hmm. too. So that's where the creation of our mentoring of students um, by our professional playwrights came out of as well. Awesome. So it was just kind of, you know, like... People live their lives and they, they do all of these things that eventually add up to this one big thing that they do. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like that. Okay. It was like all these little pieces were coming together, coming together. And then it was like, okay, this is the way to do it. Yeah, there's this beautiful union that happened that turned into Seven Devils. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and more than Seven Devils. I mean, because um, Id, we have other projects as well. We have a, a sit-in series in uh, the East Village in New York. So monthly, we do readings of new works there. Um, we have a sit-in series in Boise. So they also monthly do reading series there. And we have um, a, uh, a project called Bridgeworks, where we help the playwright to get to the stage in whatever way we can. So one year, we acted as an umbrella for... A playwright to take his play to the French Festival. One year we helped uh, one of our playwrights in Boise to learn how to self-produce her own play. Mm -hmm. So we taught her, like, this is how you make tickets. This is how you look for a rehearsal space. You know, this is how you use a fiscal sponsor. Kind of every, this is how you do a curtain speech. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like whatever it is that a playwright needs, and if it's within reason and not directly asking us to fund them, we do our best to try and do that for them in whatever way we can under okay. that Bridgeworks banner. 
Awesome. So you've seen a lot of new plays. You've oh, yeah. Seen a lot of new plays. <laughs> I'm curious, this is a, a thing because in theater you have to sort of, you're almost deciding what the modern audience wants to see for them, uh, which is a really tricky, uh, a tricky process. Uh, what have you seen that modern audiences want to see? What, what do modern audiences gravitate to? Truth. Truth, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you all, we always talk about, sometimes I'm like, oh, I would just love to see like a new model, a new structure, something done completely differently. And we've had some of those. We've, we've worked on some plays, um, where it's like inside a video game or, you know, a, a basement is flooded with water, you know, those kinds of things or, or plays that run backwards or plays that, you know, run out of time, um, which are all really interesting. And you think like, oh, well, this is kind of, you know, something new and modern, but really what it comes down to is truth. You know, the audience, we talk about American playwrights, and, and we think of ourselves as um, bridging urban to rural and back again, that if we have a true American story, it can be told anywhere. Mm-hmm. It can be told anywhere in the country, and it will hit the heartstrings or the mind or emotion of anyone who's watching it. So as long as... The playwrights being truthful to themselves, telling a story that they want to tell, and we're as truthfully supporting that playwright as we can be. To me, that is what the modern audience wants it to see. It will resonate with the audience. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's why, you know, this is like such a great little incubator town. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the, perfect. Yeah, there's hardly anybody here, but the people who are here who come, they've been coming for 17 years to conferences, some of them. And they really know how to talk. They're a very savvy audience. They know what they're looking at, and they know how to talk about it um, in a really wonderful, nurturing, and supporting way without trying to fix anything that the playwright's doing, but just answering back to them. It's like a call and response, Mm -hmm. right? They see the play, and then the response is, what they saw and how they responded and how it made them feel. Yeah, and I just interviewed uh, Jenny yesterday, and one of the things that she said is that uh, theater exists as a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not just that's uh, one of the things that always makes plays feel, I guess, a little sour, for lack of a better word, is uh, at the end of them when you've watched it and you realize the playwright wants you to believe a moral at the end. Right. So you must believe this thing because you must agree with Right, me. right. This is my opinion 100% <laughs> no matter what you believe in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting because I don't think, um, you know, a lot of audiences go in and say, entertain me. They're not always mm-hmm. willing to be the other side of that dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really wonderful to be in a community where they come in yeah. as dialogians. Yeah, ready to participate. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's what they love. And that's why we don't charge anything for any of our um, projects, because we really believe that, especially in development, that that audience voice is so important and yeah. so integral to what we do. Well, and, and the id theater is a development-only theater, correct? You you haven't produced anything? We do not produce, not since those very first three years. Yeah. Um, we will help a playwright to produce mm-hmm. on their own. <laughs> um, but yeah, we don't. We, we, we don't want to hold a stake in what the playwright's doing. We yeah. feel like the playwright 
has the ownership of the play and they can do with it what they will. And we also always feel that the playwright knows more about the play than anybody else in the process. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, eventually when you go into production, there are times when the actors learn more about their characters mm-hmm. than the playwright knows, right? Because they're filling them out and stuff. But this process is so short and so compact that you can never know more than the yeah. playwright yeah. knows. If and it, that's what it's, it's exciting, right? Yeah. Trying to, f- to flesh out and feel that and ask the questions well, to learn more. And that, that's the great thing about hearing your plays out loud is that the actors can reveal something that you didn't realize that you already knew about your piece to you. And that's why like, it, it always changes when you hear your words out loud. Like mm-hmm. from, from the page to out loud to on stage, there's such massive jumps and you don't quite realize what the difference is until you actually experience right right well I think even just to the non-writer you know when you read something versus when you hear it you learn so much more about it than when it's just in your I don't want to say we have one-dimensional heads but whatever (laughs) you know whatever that space is between our ears Um, awesome. I actually, so there's one question that I ask everyone who comes on this podcast and we're pretty far into it. And I usually try to ask it right at the beginning, but here we are. Um, and it's a very big, ambiguous question. Uh, so compass. Answer- okay, wait, I just remembered. Oh, oh compass. <laughs> the compass theater, <laughs> the compass theater in uh, Chicago. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. That's yeah. Awesome. I, yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, no, that's, that's really uh, probably the best time you could have remembered it too. Um, <laughs> Uh, so it's a big, ambiguous question. Very simple. Uh, answer it however you feel. But uh, it's simply, what is your artistic direction? What is my artistic direction? Um, personally? Personally or uh, collaboratively in terms of the theater entity of it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I think that um, that direction really is towards... Nurturing and supporting as many American playwrights as we possibly can. I mean, one of the big things that we do every year is try to figure out how can we squeeze in one more playwright? You know, (laughs) how can we affect and change and help one more life? How can we grab, you know, six more students or a community member or somebody and draw them into our family? Um, and, and, and help to affect change. I mean, I really believe that theater is an agent of change in the world. Um, And we see that every year, you know, that we'll often have like topics that you don't even think about until you suddenly see those six or 10 plays all together and say, Oh my God, everybody this year is talking about, you know, X, Y, or Z. And it's really amazing to see that national dialogue happening and know that, uh, you know, we have a small hand in helping that to occur. That's amazing. So what would you say to a playwright who maybe doesn't necessarily have uh, that nurturing source that is sort of someone who is just sitting by themselves, they really like plays, there might be a community in the town that they're in. Uh, Is there a way to sort of reach out or start or try to nurture yourself or find others that you would recommend? Yeah, I think that that you can find some things online, you know, some ways of, of learning more about playwriting online. But if you, you know, two of our programs, the intensive and the um, playwright in residency, are specifically geared towards those playwrights who yeah. don't have 
somewhere to go who don't have an education in playwriting, but really, really want to learn more. And it gives them a chance to work specifically with a director and a dramaturg and really look at the script and learn as they go. And sometimes we'll find like a playwright who lives somewhere rural and they'll send us something year after year after year. And there's no writing progress that we Mm -hmm. see in their voice, but they have these great ideas and it's just hard for them to put on the page. So we'll often contact them and say, come on, you know, be our playwright in residence, be in the intensive. We want to work with you. We see that you're kind of, you know, something's, we don't say that to them, that you're stuck, you know, we don't want to say that. (laughs) And all playwrights in residence aren't necessarily stuck, but you know, it's, it's, a way for us to reach out to more people and reach out to people who definitely might not have that support wherever it is that they live. Yeah. And then this comes to another topic, especially in playwriting is sometimes when someone is trying to write something, uh, they'll write it and they'll go back and they'll read it in reflection. Uh, and it feels dull or flat or like something that they wish were in the piece wasn't quite there. Uh-huh. Um, do you have any sort of, it, could you like name what that is? I mean, you've seen so many or maybe not, but, um, that's a kind of a yeah. weird like half question. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know as though I could name that, but I would suggest to that person yeah. that they get a bunch of friends together mm-hmm. and, you know, buy some soda or wine or whatever it is that they like to have around and read through it and grapple with that, grapple with that question of there's, yeah there's something not quite here and I'm not sure and be open to listening to people. Don't feel like you need to do what they say. Yeah. But like you said before, dialogue, dialogue in every aspect I think is helpful. Yeah. You know, I'm not a playwright myself, so I am definitely not the one to like be giving, you know, playwriting lectures, but as an actor director and being in that process, working with playwrights so often, I really see that, like we said before, what they gain Mm. from talking it through with other people who wear different hats in the theater. Oh, yeah. And all all of those perspectives are super important. In fact, the more perspectives you can get, I think the more powerful your piece will eventually become if you listen to them with a a present mind. Does that make sense? Right, right. Or or a proper editor. Yes. Yeah, there there you go. That's a much better way to say that. So, uh, so I'm also curious in, the, there's a very particular way to give feedback to, mm-hmm. uh, to a playwright with a new work. Can you just talk about, uh, the, the most effective way to give feedback to a new playwright or, a, a not completely developed, done play? Right. Well, I, we really focus on that, um, in it and are very, very careful about the way that we talk about plays. Um, we always say that, the playwright never has to answer a question, but questions are good. Yep. So ask them as much as you can. And a hundred percent that none of us are there to fix a play at all. So I, I'm kind of like the actor wrangler. So at the beginning of, um, every conference, I'll talk to the actors and we'll talk about, you know, how to talk about the play and what it is that we're kind of looking for. And we always, you know, really, really stress that we're there to support and nurture the playwright as much as we can. Yeah. So, um, so conversation is through, you know, the stage manager, the director, if you're an actor, um, that, so that you're never like saying like, well, you, the playwright, you know, or anything like that. Um, and we never want to fix a line. You could say 
this line doesn't really feel right in my mouth or I don't understand how it follows my arc or something like that. But you're never going to say, wouldn't it be better if you said, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's not helping them and that's not their work. Exactly. And we're not the writers. Yeah. Right. So we try to be really clear about that. And we do the same thing with our talkbacks as well and really um, focus on making sure that the audience is also not trying to fix anything, but relating what they felt, what they saw, what they heard, what they were confused about. Because Mm -hmm. being confused and not following something is just as important as what moved you and what was powerful. And the playwright needs to hear those things. Yeah, especially if if one person voices a point of confusion and then there's nods around the audience, then that's a pretty clear indicator. It's, oh, the, the message or whatever wasn't quite being translated. Right, right. And uh, sometimes we'll even say, okay, this is what they said. Did other people feel that way? And then it, you could have a, a show of hands. Sometimes it creates a further dialogue as far as, no, I didn't feel that way because I saw, you know, and then you'll hear like four or five different opinions. And that's cool. That's America. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's not yeah. everybody's going to agree about every single thing mm-hmm. and every single idea. So I think as a playwright to have people walk away with disparate views of what it was that was happening is totally cool because it's affecting each person personally yeah. on their own that's powerful. world. That's right. Super powerful. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, there, there's this idea that I've been sort of tumbling around in my mind, and I've asked a, this question a lot, but when you're the artistic director, I think what happens is you have a lot of people come into your theater entity with their own intentions or quote-unquote artistic directions, their own individual ideas of what they want, whether or not they've explicitly stated that to themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the theater entity that you're controlling has its own artistic direction. I'm curious, how do you cultivate the culture to honor all of these intentions coming in while still having the the mission of the theater uh, be held? Does that question make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and we actually are very careful about who comes into this world <laughs> yeah. because it is, it's, 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 it's a bearing of souls yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And we, we have to be, um, careful about people's egos, people's, you know, emotions, <laughs> all of that kind of thing. And at the very beginning, we always say to people, you know, try to leave your ego at the door. We're trying as best as we yeah. can. Everybody should try to do that. And, and I would have to say that anybody who's been here and kind of wanted to push it in a completely different artistic way would probably not be asked back. Okay. Um, that, that it's, it's really about the playwright. It's not about the, you know, the director's concept. It's not about the actor pushing through and making the play better, even though it's not on the page. It's none of those things. It's about, let's all just sit back, get rid of our ego and be a mirror Right. And show what's on the page to that playwright so they can see where they are in the world that they've created. Mm -hmm. And the second any of us are trying to do our own agenda on top of that, the whole thing, I I, I tell you, the whole thing seriously falls apart. (laughs) And that's rarely, rarely happened to us. Luckily, you know, when we need actors, we tend to go through the people we've already used and ask them who they know. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't do auditions. We just talk to them. And kind of get a feel for who they are and That's what great. they think. And, and, and people know, you know, like we were looking for someone this year and 
one of our previous actors was like, I have like four people I could mention, but this one guy would totally get what we're doing. So they, you know, they yeah. know, they, they're, they're they understand it. And it, it doesn't mean you're not a bad actor or a bad director just because you wouldn't fit into our process. It's just a different kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the question I'm about to ask is, is a big one. And it's, uh, the question that you ask yourself going into theater. But how do you, in what ways can you leave your ego at the door? In what ways can you sort of dissolve that ego so you're just allowing the piece to flow through you without any blockage of the self? I think the main thing is really buying into the philosophy of why you're doing it. To really think of yourself as a conduit and allow failure. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, as artists, we talk a lot about failure. But that failure's okay and failure's yeah. good and yeah. failure is creative and we learn more. But nobody wants to fail, <laughs> you know? I'm an actor. I don't want to go on stage and be in front of everybody and be like, well, that sucked because she couldn't fix, you know, we try to yeah. fix the piece mm-hmm. all the time. We want to fix it. And to not have that available to you in this process is really freeing in a wonderful yeah. and weird way. Yeah. 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 I mean, Sam McMurray is one of our actors who was like on the Tracy Ullman show and in okay. Raising Arizona and stuff like that. And he worked at the O'Neill and then he came and has worked for us for a number of years. And he always kind of said it best. He's like, I've spent my entire life fixing plays and making sure that I'm brilliant and the best thing on the stage. <laughs> and it was humbling when I learned how to not do that and just be there for the playwright. Yeah. So wow. not a direct quote, but a, you know, a yeah, general idea, idea of what he's yeah. saying. But yeah, and to have, just to hear him say that and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah I gotcha. Yeah, that's interesting because I think we, as performers, there has to be, you have to have a, a little bit of ego to get up on stage. It just has to be there. Yeah. Um, and then there's this dangerous thing that I think performance is, the, the act of performing is about learning how to do this, but y- you start to attach your self-worth as a human to how well you are performing or how well your play is. Or how it's received. Yes, exactly. Right. How do you just detach yourself from that? I guess that's a bigger question that we explore through theater. Do you have anything to yeah, say? Yeah, but, but for me, for this, it really, it really is, you know, about buying into the process. And then I find when I step away from the conference or other projects and work on other pieces, it's easier to do that too mm-hmm. because you've already bought into that process and learned how to do it. And, uh, you know, it kind of makes me think of the, you know, the, the Eleonora Dusa kind of acting where supposedly, right, the spirit would just yeah. move through her mm-hmm. and she was just, uh, not even a conduit. She was a vessel yeah. in which the spirit of the character could come. And, and I love that idea. And I think that this helps to allow people to inhabit that kind of of yeah. an idea. Cause then it almost becomes effortless in a way. And you're just, you're just doing the obvious thing. Yeah. 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 And you're not bad or good. You're just being that in that world, in that character that yeah. that playwright has so generously given you. Yeah. There's a, there's a piece of advice that I received about performance or anytime you get up on stage, uh, if you have the realization you are enough, 
then everything is easy. And that's so beautiful. And I try to take that with me. And how ego-free is that, you know? I mean, (laughs) yet self-fulfilling Yeah. in a beautiful way. And I think if we can give that to playwrights and they can learn to see their pieces that way. Yeah. You don't need to be presenting. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's a great gift. Um, Perfect. We're rounding out uh, at around about a half hour. Is there anything that we haven't talked about in terms of the theater or performance or anything that you want to talk about? Uh, You can take a moment and think about it if you want. (laughs) I know this is like a question. It's like, hmm. One of the big things with it that we look at that we're really trying to aim for is, you know, much more of a national voice. Like I said, we have our sit-ins in New York and Boise, and we would love to have that model recreated around the country Mm -hmm. so that there's more options for playwrights to work, um, to be able to be heard, uh, and have like a monthly place where they can all gather. Um, we also have a, a playwriting group of people, six people in New York city who gather together. Um, and then we started one in Boise as well. And it's a really great model that we have and have a bunch of different exercises that work really well as a group to work together. And then once a year, um, they all bring like 10 minute snippets of what it is that they've been working on Mm -hmm. to the sit in. And then we talk about them and discuss them and it helps to kind of bring their plays as they're working on it into a larger structure so that they can get more feedback than just between like the six of them. So we have playwrights all over the country and we have over 150 playwrights. Um, so to be able to help them to facilitate each other and help each other and kind of have, you know, these pockets of id family members working together all over the country is kind of like our dream and what we're hoping to help facilitate. So if there's a listener that's feeling uh, particularly inspired by this, uh, that lives in a small town where this doesn't happen and wants to start up one of these sort of gatherings, are there any recommendations that you would have for the starting process of getting playwrights together and sitting down and reviewing each other's work? Yeah, I mean, I think originally if you can just um, find people that you work well with... (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of different kinds of fun exercises that you can do. Like just figure, start out with a word or a noun, or did you go to the Instaplay? Sort of similar to those kinds of ideas. Give yourself prompts um, and allow yourselves just like 10 or 15 minutes to write something. And then just see what that is and see where that comes from. We've had playwrights who've been like, you know, one prompt that was a five-minute exercise turned into a three-act play. So, you know, just have each person come in with something different as far as a prompt, like where you are, a word, how many people are in the scene, something like that, uh, what kind of conflict there might be, mm-hmm. and just riff off of each other and write stuff and then speak it out loud and have each other listen to it and talk about it. Yeah, and it allows your mind to swim in a different direction than you would normally exactly yeah exactly and you might find that there's this thing that's been sitting in the back of your brain that you didn't quite know how to get out or put on paper is suddenly loosened and and given free reign yeah and then this is another you mentioned the national dialogue so i really hate to get political but if you're being if you're a theater artist you have to acknowledge that there is a schism within american society right now and it's a it's a schism that's sort of 
um, is unwilling to meet each other, I believe. Uh, is there a way that you think plays can speak to both sides of that? I don't want to name it specifically as like a Democrat-Republican schism. No, I, no, no. I know. I get that. Yeah. And it's actually it's very interesting because our reading on Saturday, The Secretary, is a play that does that, addresses oh, that. It, it looks at the gun issue yeah. on both sides through comedy. Great. That's um, and, and and I think that people can do that. I don't think everybody should. I mean, people. Yeah. A lot of people have a very specific viewpoint that they want to put across. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the tragedy comes from people closing off and not wanting to hear or see something that doesn't a hundred percent agree with their own ideology or philosophy. Yeah, you know, that's that's as a nation, I think where we fall into yeah. the trouble of no longer having that discourse. We we're talking about dialogue before. Yep. Open dialogue is, you know, a great thing in theater. So I'm all for it and yeah. encourage people, you know, to to look at and see anything they can whether it mirrors their ideology or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just the the act of the performer or the director is to reach out and to be able to get those people in. Uh, and that's, I mean, this is a very difficult, but like, how do you get those people? How do you get the people that aren't just the regulars coming over and over and over again into a theater? Is there a way that you think? Yeah, you I don't know. You know, we don't produce, so that's, oh, yeah, that's not really yep. uh, something that we wrestle with yep. on that's a regular true. basis. Yeah. Um and no playwright has come to us and said, how do I do this, yeah. you know, <laughs> for us to kind of try and wrestle it through with them mm-hmm. to figure out. But, you know, there's there's big theater companies and small theater companies that are doing that and wrestling with that every day. Yeah. Say more power to them. Yeah, it's just part of the dialogue. Yeah. Sheila, if anyone is looking to find either you or the id theater online, or if do you have any sort of plugs uh, for the listener that's interested in any of the things that we've talked about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can go to www.idtheater.org, and that's theater, T-E-R, because we're an American theater. As it should be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, And everything's on there. You can learn about our history. You can see past plays that we've worked on. Um, for all of our projects, you can see what's up and coming. You can see what our writing family is doing now, what plays they have going on around the country. And there's also a way to contact us on that. So perfect. That's great. Um, and I like to end my podcast with this thing. Can you give one recommendation of anything at all? It can be a book, a movie, a quote, a way of life, just anything, just a single recommendation. <laughs> I would say to live as fully with an biggest open heart that you can and just uh, be willing to embrace. That is a beautiful recommendation. Uh, (laughs) Awesome. Sheila, thank you so, so, so much. Thank you, Jake. Uh, You can find this podcast on Facebook and SoundCloud. And listener, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have an excellent rest of your day.